everyone. You're listening to Ed Young Radio, Ed Pastors Fellowship Church, and we want to thank you for listening with us. These next few minutes together can change your life, and you can always hear more by visiting edyoung.com. Enjoy the message. You know, I had the opportunity to grow up across the, really as a dirt road, uh, and, and across the dirt road from where I grew up was this lake. It was about, I don't know, 25 acres. This lake was really windy. We even called it Wind Lake. So when I was younger, I had a little rowboat and I, I really wanted to have an anchor. I needed an anchor because this lake, Wind Lake, was pretty deep. So I remember I, I found some clothesline. I, I read this somewhere. Some of you don't know what that is. You'll have to Google that. Some clothesline. And I, I, I kind of measured it out just by looking and, and guessing how, how deep the lake was. And then I got a Clorox bottle, put some sand in it, and that would be my anchor. And of course, the clothesline would be the anchor rope. Left my house, walked across the dirt road through the woods, made it to the rowboat, tied the clothesline to the rowboat, put the anchor, Clorox bottle, in the boat and paddled out against the winds in the middle of the lake. I'm like, okay, now I can throw the anchor overboard and I can have some some stability. I can stay in one place, even though the winds hit and all of that. So I threw the anchor overboard and I still found myself being blown all over the lake. And I looked down and as I peered down into this coffee black water, I could see that the anchor, the Clorox bottle, was just about five feet off of the bottom. And the sand began to dissipate from the Clorox bottle, so I'd made a a very dumb mistake. I'd I'd misjudged the length of the clothesline. I'd misjudged the depth of the lake. I didn't really have a secure anchor and I was blown all over the lake that day. So don't make an anchor with clotheslines and Clorox bottles. That's your take home. (laughs) When it comes to life, especially when it comes to marriage, isn't it true that so many of us are using clotheslines and Clorox bottles to try to secure our marriages, to try to remain steadfast and the currents and the rogue waves that hit. I'm here to tell you, if you have the right anchor, your marriage can soar. If you have the right anchor, it'll give you stability and strength even when the rogue winds hit, even when these waves come out of nowhere, even all of the elements, or you might say elements that that come our way in this relationship called marriage. I'm telling you, if you have the right anchor, great things will happen. In the book of Hebrews, chapter six, verse 19, tells us that we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And of course, that hope is the person of Jesus Christ. No one gets married expecting divorce. In fact, when we say I do, we are planning for sometimes unrealistic expectations, but we're planning for perfection, nirvana, all of these things. And yet within that, we never think about divorce. And yet as life goes on, the I do's, 
bring us to what we call the pronoun of we. Everything is about we, us, we as a couple. In fact, the book of Genesis says the two shall become one. And so we have moved from individuals to we. But when those rogue waves and winds hit and the troubles come and the difficulties, we find ourselves slowly taking steps away. And we abandon the we and move toward the I. Recently, I had a conversation with a woman who deals in marriages and therapy, and she was talking to me, and I said, tell me what would be the number one issue that leads to divorce. She said, we as couples, or couples who are struggling, go from the idea of selflessness to selfishness. They abandon we and move to I. And I think all of us can understand how things start happening in our relationship and how the difficulties come, you know, disagreements happen. I don't know if you know this, but that happens in marriage. Ed and I just yesterday were preparing this message and talking and going through the outline and boy, things heated up. And I, I mean, I'm not gonna give you the details of the story. I will story. tell them what it was over. This is terrible, but I'll just tell them real quick. Lisa and I have four dogs and one is a, is a Great Dane. And we had, and I'll just say this, we have a lot of dog doo-doo, I call it. Some people say poo, I like, I like doo-doo. We have a lot of dog doo-doo in our yard. And I pay someone to, to come by regularly and, and pick up the dog doo-doo because it's so much and I just really don't wanna do it. Well, yesterday it piled up, literally, so much that Lisa decided, unbeknownst I, I, to me, no, I was- I, I just was, couldn't take it anymore. She couldn't take it. I was, I'm I was, going out there to take the dogs out, which my dog is a Maltese. Big difference in what yeah. is left in the yard. And I was, Big difference. And I was riding the Peloton, trying to stay in shape, and I happened to look out and I see Lisa dressed in, in like, it was almost combat gear. <laughs> Picking up the dog doo-doo. So and, we, and, we had, we had, and, a, we had an argument over that. And he took a picture and what? he sent it on the family text of me outside doing that. And I just, I walked inside just for a brief second and he was on the Peloton and he mentioned to me, he said, you know, they make low impact Peloton rides because I struggle with my knee. And I said, you know what? Picking up dog poo-poo is low impact. You would enjoy Whoa. it. Anyway, that was our, our But you know, the metaphor is true. In marriage, we pick up a lot of doo-doo. Think about it. I was not gonna say that, but anyway. But it's true. I felt really good about the progression of the we to the I and the selflessness okay. and all of that. But anyway, it's a serious it matter. Is. It, is. it really is. I mean, we, we have to add humor because you know what? This, these subjects are so tough that it, laughter causes us to relax. So just take a deep breath because I know in this room and in all of our different environments, we have people who are, you know, they feel great about this thing called marriage and they feel, you know, really good about the stage that they're in, but others are not so good. And hopefully you can just take a breath and absorb what we believe, well, what we know to be true about God's plan for your life. At least what's so interesting about marriage is, and I've done so many weddings, you have a bride and a groom looking at each other, starry-eyed, looking into the future. And believe me, marriage is great if you're willing to work. 
and do what, what, what the Lord wants you to do and you have the right anchor. It can be amazing. But looking at these people saying, you know, I do and kissing and going to the honeymoon and all that, no one would go, hey, in just a few short years, maybe a decade or two, they're gonna be at each other's throats and they're gonna have to call in the lawyers to pick up the pieces. It's, it's really diabolical when you think about it, but there, there are also some indicators, Lisa, yep. and some things that, that we can do. It starts though with the anchor, Jesus Christ, because without the gospel, it's just not, you're not gonna have that foundation for reconciliation. You're not gonna have that foundation for oneness, for selflessness. And again, I apologize for not going out in the yard and shoveling the... Thank you for that. Okay. There's always more to come. <laughs> but, yeah, believe me. But listen, you know, we've, we've been um, um, I'm looking at some of the things that cause divorce, and these are some indicators that all couples deal with in one form or another. The first is criticism. Yeah, last week we spoke about communication and what's involved in communication. It's the exchange of information, affirmation, and confrontation. But what happens when we're in confrontation mode, yes. we tend to go into criticism mode. And rather than dealing with the what, we start attacking the who. And we attack the core character of the person when, when we're critical. And, and it's the who, not the what, you know? So in other words, we begin to tear down the personality, the, the character of our spouse rather than building in affirmation and support. So if that's uh, in effect, there's the antithesis of it that, that, that the Lord wants us to operate and that is the reveal. Yeah, he wants us to reveal the definite problem or the issue at hand. Ed and I have disagreements, as we mentioned, and yesterday that was kind of a, a funny disagreement, not so funny at the time, but now we can laugh about it. And most of those disagreements, you can eventually laugh. Yes, most of them. We have to reveal the real issue, not against the person, but what is the real issue? We talked last week about uh, what, it, what was the percentage of, of resolvable versus unresolvable issues? Unresolvable issues in marriage, 69% of all marriages deal with issues that you're not going to solve totally and completely. Yet the other, like the 31%, are definitely solvable. It doesn't mean that you, that you have horrible, a horrible marriage all the time. It means there's compromise, it means they're sharing, but that's where the whole selflessness comes in, which happened to be my, my issue yesterday. yesterday. So instead of criticizing, reveal the real issue and determine, is this a solvable issue or is this one that we need compromise on and say, okay, this is how we're going to move forward in this situation. The other one is contempt. And this is, we're, lead, we're, all, kind of we're kind of leaning toward, leading toward in, in these, a step toward deeper and deeper trouble yeah. in marriage. So you might begin with criticism and then it moves toward contempt. And contempt is, is like, okay, I'm here and you're there. My, my spouse is beneath me. You, you know that kind of vibe? You, you, you know, marriage, that, that we, marriage can create power struggles. Usually it's over sex. Money and control, would those be the things? Yes, PMS. It's power, money, 
and sex. And sex. Okay, I left sex out. No one laughed at that, PMS. No, that PMS, was funny. okay. I've said it before, but it's still funny to laugh at it again. You know, but, a good joke is like a good song. You but don't marriage just hear... issues can be over control about who gets to decide what, yeah. about power. And so contempt begins when you feel like you're the powerful one and their opinion, your spouse's opinion means nothing. You give no value to what they bring to the relationship. And this is like one of those slow moves. Sometimes it's slow, sometimes it's faster, but moving from criticism to contempt. So the opposite of contempt would be respect. We respect, I, this is um, something that you've talked about. We don't always respect how a person is behaving, but we respect the position that they hold. We're talking about our spouse. I'm talking about my husband, or you're talking about your wife. This is a person who holds a position in your relationship that demands respect. Mm -hmm. And that is the opposite of contempt. Yes, it is. And then another one, Lisa, would be cancel. You know, we live in the cancel culture. I'm sure you've been canceled before. I've been canceled before. I shared with you a while back, I wrote a book um, about a year and a half ago, and I was very excited because I was gonna be on this platform where four million people was gonna watch this interview with uh, myself and this person. Well, this person just canceled me the day before the interview because of things that, that we stand for at Fellowship Church, the Word of God, marriage is between one man and one woman. So this person canceled me over issues like that, and it hurts, it still hurts. That can even happen in marriage. We it, can cancel one another, and, and that's like the ultimate, that's when the anchor is yeah. way off the bottom and we're being blown across the lake. Because to cancel your spouse means that you have finally come to that point where you just disregard them completely. You turn your back on the relationship, you begin to move further and further away. It could be you don't even wanna hear a conversation with them. You have time for conversation with anybody, but not for them. You have no eye contact, no compassion, no caring. There, it's just where the relationships become null and void. It's a very dangerous thing, but it is a, a part of this progress from criticism to contempt and then finally canceling and, out the relationship. And the, and the, and the um, antithesis to this is reconciliation. And that's it, where the anchor comes yeah, in. That's, that's when we the, have the anchor of Jesus Christ, yes. Jesus is our model for reconciliation. So if I call myself a Christ follower and I don't rush to forgive, now there are varying degrees of pain, suffering, hurt, marital discord, we know that. But there has to be a spirit of reconciliation in every relationship, and it is left upon us, those of us who have a relationship with Jesus, who have been forgiven. Do you realize what would have happened if Jesus had canceled us, turned his back on us? Would it look like Wow, you're starting us? to preach. That's, but that's, what, is, that's yes. what we should be reminded right. of when we have this temptation to cancel our, our spouse. Yes, yes, and, and, and it's all about that reconciliation. Lisa, I remember when our kids were, were, were small, you know, when I say small, they were uh, going to school, and, and we would take them to school. We had to drive across this, this dam, this bridge. So 
Oftentimes, there, there were arguments, et cetera, who's Most riding shotgun, whatever, Most blah, 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 yeah. And then, inevitably, I, I would just go, quiet. No one talk anymore unless you have something great to say. So we would just ride in silence for a while. And inevitably, as we were crossing the bridge over the dam, I would hear this, I'm sorry. And then there, there would be, believe it or not, reconciliation Sm among the siblings. Yes. So we began to call that the dam, D-A-M, bridge of forgiveness, of reconciliation. So in marriage, things can dam up your marriage. Things can, can, can mess your marriage up. In fact, the enemy wants to mess your marriage up. Our culture is anti-marriage. So, regularly, we have to understand the bridge that God built to man, and that bridge is Jesus. Yet we have the free will to cross it or not. When we cross it, we become Christ followers. Then in this relationship, we have to keep on crossing it amongst uh, spouses and our families and everything. So those are just three markers yes. of, of, of divorce, Lisa. And all of us though, in marriage, and this sometimes shocks people, all of us deal with the same issues. And I'll say this over and over. Every marriage here deals with the same conflicts, the same selfishness or selflessness. But there's, there's a lot of transitional times. This summer, we were talking to a lady that represents us. She's a book agent for, for some of our books. And we were talking about writing a book on pain because as some of you know, most of you know, our daughter a week ago, I mean, th this week, a year ago, suddenly and tragically passed away. So she was asking us about pain, how do you deal with pain? And we were talking to her about that subject and, and she was like, you guys need to write a book on this subject. Well, then Lisa said something about marriage that I thought was so, so compelling regarding pain and regarding the transitions that every marriage moves through. If you study conflict in marriage, most of the time, it's about transitional times in your life, yeah. either the birth of a child or a t having a teenager, a move, all of these different things. So for our family, I just started going through in my journal, especially in those months following Lee Beth's passing, um, outlining some things that Ed and I have gone through. He always says, you know, Lisa and I have been married for 40 years, and I, I think I said this last week, but I'd always go, Ed, you know, people know, you know, I feel like we're bragging, blah, 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 blah. And no, really and truly, those 40 years represent more than days, you know, dropping off the calendar. That's right. They represent transitions in our lives where we have made it. And they represent the fact that the anchor is firm is and secure, secure and the anchor holds. Because, That's what they because, represent. Because I will tell you right now, people think, oh, but y'all are pastors and you are in the church and this is your job and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Because it is not easy. It is not just a walk in the park. Yeah, Ed said it last week, Jurassic Park. That's the park <laughs> you're walking through. And so, Yes, we have had so many times in our relationship and I just started naming them. And she looked at me and she goes, oh, wow. 
So I'll just want to share with you some of the things over the past 40 mm-hmm. years that Ed and I have and, walked through. And the good through, thing is, Lisa, which, we can look, I want to interrupt you for a second, we can look okay. ahead at these transition times and we can know, okay, I'm going to face this, I'm going to face that. So we can be ready and that anchor can, it is secure. And if it's not secure, it can be secure today. And, and so we can weather these, these storms. Yeah. So if you've been married for a year, many years like Ed and I, or if you're not married and you're thinking, oh, one day I will be, you need to prepare for the transition times and you need to make sure that your anchor is Jesus because that's the only anchor that will work. One of the things that I read that, that is something that is a transition is and and leads to conflict is if you marry young. Ed and I were 21 years old Whoa. when we got married. We dated, That's young. We dated for a long time, but we were very young, and we were very young and dumb. Just we just were, and we didn't understand. We didn't go through counseling. We didn't, no. I mean, we just didn't go so, through premarital counseling. Lisa and I didn't, and and it was horrible that we did not. We had a lot of issues in the early years of our marriage because. We didn't listen to messages like this. Well, there we weren't. Yeah, yeah I, there, there weren't a lot of marriage messages, and we didn't uh, uh, go to any Christian counseling. That's why for 32 years, Lisa and I have spoken unapologetically about marriage. And sadly, as you look around at, at, our, at, our, at our churches in North America, churches rarely talk about marriage the most important relationship on planet earth. That's Obviously, right. God being number one, that's, that's the vertical, but, but this horizontal thing. So that's why we, we have done this because we wanna give you, again, that ammunition, the, 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 the stuff, the utensils, the luggage, everything so you can process these issues. Okay, so we married young. Another thing was distance. If you and your spouse are living in separate cities, well, there was a period of time where Ed was going to seminary. I had a baby at home, Lee Beth. We, I was in Houston. He was in Dallas. And so we lived, I believe, for six months apart. He would come home on the weekends, but still, that's a very stressful thing on a relationship. Another thing is we had a baby. That's a transitional time. But then we went through a miscarriage. And talking about having a baby, 50% of marriages uh, uh, um, get into the deep weeds when they have a child. After the seven-year mark, that's the average. Okay. So, and then we went through infertility. So miscarriage and then infertility. Yes, we had a baby. So you say, well, what is that? How are you going through infertility? It's called secondary infertility. And so lots of tests, lots of things that we found out that, that basically we found out that every birth is a miracle, but our firstborn was a real miracle because I should not have been able to get pregnant. Then by God's grace, we had our second child, EJ. He was four weeks old when we discovered that he had a genetic disease called neurofibromatosis. Now, EJ and his wife, Jess, are um, lead in our downtown Dallas campus. If you were to meet EJ, you would probably have no idea of what he has gone through through his entire life. But four weeks old, we were given this news. And back then in 1991, there, were, there was no home computers. You could not Google neurofibromatosis. Ed and I had no clue what we were about to face. But what it meant was that tumors form on nerve centers in your body. In the brain, eyes, and, and some, uh, the, the, the worst would be elephant man's disease. Well, sort it's of, not the same, but it is disfigurement like, yeah, like yes. elephant uh-huh. man's disease, if you're familiar with that. Now that 
is a transition. Through faith and by God's grace, we had people who surrounded us in the church. That is why Ed and I, when you talk about the anchor being Jesus, Jesus provides his body, the body of Christ, for you to get support. Do not, don't take for granted what God has given you in the church because that is how we walked through those times when we had to go to MD Anderson Hospital in Houston for EJ to see the best specialist when he had to have tests and and more tests. And then when he was going through his junior high years and there were some developmental issues Mm -hmm. and all of these different things that we faced, it was the anchor of Jesus in the body of Christ that got us through. Yes, and you know too, Lisa, when we we have, for example, our weekend worship experiences and when we do what we do as a church, I hope you know, we're, we're we're not playing games. This is not some entertainment vibe. This is not something you do just to check off the, I've gone to church box. This is life and death, what we're talking about here. Oh yeah. This is eternity here. The stakes are sky high here. So to sit back and think, oh wow, that's a cool church and look at the LED screens and they've been married for 40 years. That's so cool and so sexy. And yeah, you know, I'll go to church now and then, but if there's something else better, I'll, I'll do that. This is what life is all about. And I'm telling you, forget Lisa and I being pastors, we would not be where we are today in our marriage without obviously Jesus and without the church. So if you don't have that, I'm just gonna tell you straight up, man to man, it's not gonna work. Let me say it again, it's not gonna work. I don't wanna pull any punches. I don't wanna lie to you. I don't wanna say, oh yeah, it's gonna work. It's not gonna work. So if you want something to work and marriage should work, simply build your life, your marriage, on the anchor of Jesus and the implications of that. And I'm here to tell you, he'll take you places that you can't even dream of and he'll give you stability in the midst of these transitional times, even in neurofibromatosis. Then the next thing, Lisa, you talked about too, to, to um, our friend who helps us in, in writing, about you talked to her about having multiples. Twins. We have twins, the twin towers. And I didn't know right this, but... When I was pregnant yeah. with the twins, I mean, we were, I mean, I was huge, massive, large. I broke the girth record at our gynecologist office, you know, for the size of what was to come. Yeah, and I mean, so, it, was, it was, I mean, I wish I would have, I wish I could catch a largemouth bass <laughs> with that kind of but anyway, girth. That'd be, it'd be a world record. The week, I mean, you look great. I'm just saying you, to you that. Thank you. It, I, listen, I'm fully aware. It was aware. unbelievable. I'm fully aware. But the week before the uh, twins were scheduled to be born, you know, their due date, um, this magazine came because it was around Father's Day. And this magazine went on about what fathers desire from their home life. And one of them was peace and tranquility. And I was like, okay, we've got a toddler who's just turned three. We have a seven-year-old who's upset about all of it. And we have twins who are going to be born next week. And in the middle of our den, there were two swings, there's two play mats, there's two high chairs, there's two of everything. This is not going to be a place of tranquility. I'm, I'm certain of that. 
So this was a huge time. And I even read about the statistics of divorce increasing yes. after multiple. So I'm like, oh boy, we got to go. And dog doo-doo is nothing compared, compared to, to that, that stage. Nothing. Wow. Talk about diapers. Woo. Then fast forward several years later, and I didn't even throw into that whole mix mm -hmm. here, is we made a major move by leaving Houston when Lee Beth was a baby and coming to Dallas to start Fellowship Church. Yeah, and, and That's you know, a massive thing. A lot of people don't know, okay, starting a church, it's like starting a business. And we started with zero. Even though dad's church is one of the largest churches in America, definitely, definitely the wealthiest church in America. No one's close to his church. How much money did he give us to start? How much money has he given us? So you want to talk about stress? Here we come up here, 30 families. The average age is about 60. And we're in a little office complex. We're in this rent house that's, uh, wasn't that great? One old suburban, one dog, one kid. And I remember rejoicing when our offerings were like near $1,000. I remember when we bought our first type Rider. I know a lot of you don't even know what that is. Major, major stress Transition. because 85% of church plants fail. Let me say that again. 85% fail. So we're dealing with this, and I'm not whining. I'm just, you know, these are just the transitions and shaming the devil. So we're, we're dealing with all of this while these things are happening. And then we go into Landra, fast forward it a little bit. One of our twins struggled with an eating disorder at, a, at the end of her high school years. Um, that was a huge thing going through with her. Then several years later, we discovered that Lee Beth, our oldest daughter, had an addiction um, and severe depression. And her addiction was alcohol. And then ultimately, a year ago, that ended in her death. Nobody plans for that. Nobody thinks about not just the transitions, but it could end in a transition like that. That is what we call an out-of-order death. It was my prayer that as we shared this with you guys and all of these things over the past 40 years that Ed and I could stand here today as we did a year ago when we told the story initially and tell you that God is Amen. faithful. That's right. We stood here last year and said it. We stood here on this stage and said it, and we talked about how we were leaning into him, and I wanna tell you without hesitation that though this year has been the hardest year of our lives, no God doubt. has moved in our lives in ways that we cannot fathom, we cannot explain, and I'm talking about beautiful ways, gorgeous ways, eternal ways, where Ed and I step back and go, God, thank you. And I cannot explain that. No. I cannot explain that, but I will tell you that when Jesus is your anchor, everything changes. That's right. Everything changes. That's right. And listen, you know, I've, I've seen it too. And again, I obviously would love to have Lee Beth back compared to what we've, what we've gone through. But I, I've seen, I don't know if that makes sense, but I, I've seen God move in our church since her death 
like I've never seen before in the 32 year history of, of, of Fellowship Church. And one of the things, Lisa, about going through a crisis or, or a time of pain like, like we have experienced during this, on one hand, nightmarish year, it, it, it like it draws you together at first when the, when the um, tragedy strikes, whatever it is, just name the tragedy, it draws you closer to one another. However, then as we've discovered, you begin to grieve or process pain in your own way and that's when it can get dangerous, honey. Yes. So one of the things that Ed and I have come to understand is first and foremost, when people say, I just can't imagine, I mean, how do you prepare for something like this? Well, I will tell you, you can. Say that again. That's, that's, I, that's a powerful. lot of people, well-meaning said, oh, you just can't prepare for something like this. And I was the first to say, oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah. And then it, I, it dawned on me. Yes, you can. As horrific, as awful, as terrible as this has been, you can. I equate it to depositing money into a bank account and it's drawing interest. And you deposit and you deposit and you deposit and then one day you might need to use the interest for something. Maybe an unexpected event happens or I don't know what, but you have to deep dig or dip into it. That's what you do with your faith. You deposit faith by consistency in your walk with mm -hmm. Jesus, by studying his word yes. every day on your own, not because it's a duty, but because it's how you right. get life. You study his word, you are involved in church, you serve, you share, you sow, you do all those things that we talk about and they sound really you know, catchy and all of that. But as Ed said, this is serious. That's how we have made a deposit so that this year we drew from it. We drew right. completely from it. You can do that. Yes. And we had savings. We, we tapped into our savings spiritually yes. to, to, to do this. process this. To process this. Yes. And the other thing is being careful not to put unrealistic expectations on your spouse. Ed and I grieved. Explain what that means. Because well, we grieved differently. Yeah. I mean, Ed, some days Ed would be great. Sometimes I would be great. But it wasn't Ed's responsibility to fix me nor my responsibility to fix him. We had to pray it through, work it through, communicate and talk, but it wasn't about In pressures. In other words, you cannot put pressure on your spouse to become the anchor. You cannot put divine pressure on a depraved human being in any situation when it comes to marriage. Does that, does that make sense? In other words, your spouse is not your savior. Your spouse is not your Lord. They can be, and they are a reflection of that, but, but, but too often, we put too much pressure. And then finally, and I think you know, this is so important, don't trade what you do know for what you don't know. Yes. Last year, we faced so many unknowns. We didn't know how we were gonna feel on her birthday. We didn't know how we were gonna feel at Thanksgiving, at Christmas, and then this week at the anniversary of her death. We did not know. There are a lot of unknowns. But what we do know is that Jesus is at the center of it all. We right. do know that we have a hope in heaven. We do know where Lee Beth is on this moment at this time. We do know that because of what God's word tells yes. us. So don't trade what you don't know for what you do know. Don't let feelings mess up the facts of our faith. Yes. And that, that's just a huge thing. 
One of my favorite stories and favorite songs um, is about Horatio Spafford. He was a, a very wealthy man who lived in Chicago, and in 1871, he lost everything. Uh, his son died of scarlet fever. He lost his business in the Chicago fire. He and his wife had four daughters remaining, and they said, you know, we'd be better if we just go back to Europe and start over. And Horatio had things to do and things to kind of button up in Chicago, so he sent his wife and four daughters on ahead. And they were traveling across the ocean on a, a ship, and the ship encountered rogue winds and heavy waves, and they were cast overboard. Four of his daughters perished. He had lost a son, and now he had lost his four daughters. When his wife, who survived, got to Europe, she messaged him, telegraphed him, and said, saved alone. When he made the trek to join her, and the ship that he was on covered that same area where his children had been lost, he penned the words, it is well with my soul. There's no way to explain having peace in the midst of a storm like that, unless you have Jesus as your anchor. The question is, do you have Jesus as your anchor? Or are you trying to use closed lines and Clorox bottles for your foundation? It's our prayer that we will make that decision individually also collectively in every marriage and in every relationship here and that we can boldly proclaim through tears through doubts through heartaches it is well father we thank you for this time and i just pray lord that if there's someone here who hasn't made a decision to follow you that today would be that day that they would just open the lid of their heart receive the gift of salvation, turn from their sins and walk with you. Father, we thank you for every single person in this room and, and all of our environments. And I just ask, Lord, that if there's marriages that are broken, that you would heal them. I just pray for individuals who are going through pain and suffering in different degrees. Lord, you are our great peace giver, our great helper, our great strength. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. And thanks to all who give so generously to this ministry. It's because of you that we can continue this show and equip people with the hope of heaven. You can click the link in the description to support the show or visit edyoung.com. There you can also be resourced with bonus content for free, including a daily devotional. We also encourage you to share the message today with those around you. Thank you again for listening. God bless. God bless.